Book Two, Canto Eight of the Fairy Queen by Edmund Spencer. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Thomas Copeland. Canto Eight. Sir Guyon, laid in swoon, is by Acrates' son despoiled, whom Arthur soon hath rescued and Paynim brethren foiled. And is there care in heaven? And is there love in heavenly spirits to these creatures base that make compassion of their evils move? There is, else much more wretched with a case of men than beasts. But, oh, the exceeding grace of highest God that loves his creatures so, and all his works with mercy doth embrace, that blessed angels he sends to and fro to serve to wicked man, to serve his wicked foe. How oft do they their silver bowers leave To come to succor us that succor want? How oft do they with golden pinions Cleave the flitting skies, Like flying persuivant against foul fiends To aid us militant? They for us fight, they watch, and duly ward, And their bright squadrons round about us plan, And all for love, and nothing for reward. Oh, why should heavenly God to man have such regard? During the while that Guyon did abide in Mammon's house, the palmer, whom while ere that wanton maid of passage denied, by further search had passage found elsewhere, and being on his way, approached near where Guyon lay in trance, when suddenly he heard a voice that called loud and clear, Come hither, come hither, oh, come hastily, that all the fields resounded with a rueful cry. The palmer lent his ear unto the noise, to wheat who called so importunately, again he heard a more efforced voice that bade him come in haste. He by and by his feeble feet directed to the cry, which to that shady delve him brought at last where Mammon erst did sun his treasury. There the good Guyon he found slumbering fast in senseless dream, which sight at first him sore aghast. Beside his head there sat a fair young man of wondrous beauty and of freshest years, whose tender bud to blossom new began, and flourish fair above his equal peers. His snowy front, curled with golden hairs, like Phoebus' face adorned with sunny rays, divinely shone, and two sharp-winged shears, decked with diverse plumes like painted jays, were fixed at his back to cut his airy ways. Like as Cupido on Aldean hill, when having laid his cruel bow away, and mortal arrows, wherewith he doth fill the world with murderous spoils and bloody prey, with his fair mother he him dights to play, and with his goodly sisters, graces three. The goddess, pleased with his wanton play, suffers herself through sleep beguiled to be, the whiles the other ladies mind their merry glee whom when the palmer saw, abashed he was through fear and wonder, that he naught could say till him the child bespoke. Long lacked, alas, hath been thy faithful aid in hard assay, whilst deadly fit thy pupil doth dismay. Behold this heavy sight, thou reverend sire, but dread of death and dolor do away, for life ere long shall to her home retire, and he that breathless seems shall courage bold respire. The charge which God doth unto me aret of his dear safety I to thee commend, yet will I not forgo, nor yet forget the care thereof myself unto the end, but evermore him succour and defend against his foe and mine. Watch thou, I pray, for evil is at hand him to offend. So having said, 
eftsoons he gan display his painted nimble wings and vanished quite away the palmer seeing his left empty place and his slow eyes beguiled of their sight walked sore afraid and standing still a space gazed after him as foul escaped by flight at last him turning to his charge behight with trembling hand his troubled pulse gan try where finding life not yet dislodged quite he much rejoiced and cured it tenderly as chicken newly hatched from dreaded destiny at last he spied where towards him did pace two paynim knights all armed as bright as sky and them beside an aged sire did trace and far before a light-foot page did fly that breathed strife and troublous enmity those were the two sons of acrates old who meeting erst with archimago sly for by that idol strong of him were told that he which erst them combated was gyan bold which to avenge on him they dearly vowed wherever that on ground they mote him find false archimage provoked their courage proud and strifeful aten to their stubborn mind coals of contention and hot vengeance tined now been they come whereas the palmer sate keeping that slumbered course to him assigned well knew they both his person sith of late with him in bloody arms they rashly did debate whom when pyrocles saw inflamed with rage that sire he foul bespake thou dotard vile that with thy bruteness shents thy comely age abandon soon i read the caitiff spoil of that same outcast carcass that erewhile made itself famous through false treachery and crowned his coward crest with knightly style lo where he now inglorious doth lie to prove he lived ill that did thus foully die to whom the palmer fearless answered certes sir knight ye been too much to blame thus for to blot the honour of the dead and with foul cowardise his carcass shame whose living hands immortalised his name vile is the vengeance on the ashes cold and envy base to bark at sleeping fame was never white that treason of him told yourself his prowess proved and found him fierce and bold then said chimocles palmer thou dost dote ne canst of prowess ne of knighthood deem save as thou seest or hearst but well i wot that of his puissance trial made extreme yet gold all is not that doth golden seem nay all good knights that shake well spear and shield the worth of all men by their end esteem and then due praise or due reproach them yield bad therefore i him deem that thus lies dead on field good or bad gan his brother fierce reply what do i reck sith that he died entire or what doth his bad death now satisfy the greedy hunger of revenging ire sith wrathful hand wrought not her own desire yet since no way is left to wreak my spite i will him reeve of arms the victor's hire and of that shield more worthy of good knight for why should a dead dog be decked in armour bright fair sir said then the palmer suppliant for knighthood's love do not so foul a deed ne blame your honour with so shameful vaunt of vile revenge to spoil the dead of weed is sacrilege and doth all sins exceed but leave these relics of his living might to deck his hearse and trap his tomb-black steed 
what hearse or steed said he should he have dight but be entombed in the raven or the kite with that rude hand upon his shield he laid and the other brother gan his helm unlace both fiercely bent to have him disarrayed till that they spied where towards them did pace an armed knight of bold and bounteous grace whose squire bore after him an heaven lance and covered shield well kenned him so far space than chanter by his arms and eminence when under him he saw his libyan steed to prance and to those brethren said rise rise belive and unto battle do yourselves address for yonder comes the prowest knight alive prince arthur flower of grace and nobleness that hath to paynim knights wrought great distress and thousand sarsons foully done to die that word so deep did in their hearts impress that both eftsoons upstarted furiously and gan themselves prepare to battle greedily but fierce pyrocles lacking his own sword the want thereof now greatly gan to plain and archimage besought him that afford which he had brought for braggadocio vain so would i said the enchanter glad and fain beteemed you this sword due to defend or aught that else your honour might maintain but that this weapon's power i well have kenned to be contrary to the work which ye intend for that same knight's own sword this is of yore which merlin made by his almighty art for that his nursling when he knighthood swore therewith to dun his foes eternal smart the metal first he mixed with medi wart that no enchantment from his dint might save that it in flames of etna wrought apart and seven times dipped in the bitter wave of hellish sticks which hidden virtue to it gave the virtue is that neither steel nor stone the stroke thereof from entrance may defend ne ever may be used by his phone ne forced his rightful owner to offend ne ever will it break ne ever bend wherefore more dure it rightfully is height in vain therefore parocles should i lend the same to thee against his lord to fight for sure it would deceive thy labour and thy might foolish old man said then the pagan wroth that weenest words or charms may force withstand soon shalt thou see and then believe for troth that i can carve with this enchanted brand his lord's own flesh therewith out of his hand that virtuous steel he rudely snatched away and guyan's shield about his rest he bond so ready dight fierce battle to assay and match his brother proud in battleless array by this that stranger knight in presence came and goodly salute them who not again him answered as courtesy became but with stern looks and stomachous disdain gave signs of grudge and discontentment vain then turning to the palmer he can spy where at his feet with sorrowful demesne and deadly hue an armed corse did lie in whose dead face he read great magnanimity said he then to the palmer reverend sire what great misfortune hath betid this night or did his life her fatal date expire or did he fall by treason or by fight however sure i rue his piteous plight not one nor other said the palmer grave hath him befallen but clouds of deadly night a while his heavy eyelids covered have and all his senses drowned in deep senseless wave 
which those his cruel foes that stand hereby making advantage to revenge their spite would him disarm and treat and shamefully unworthy usage of redoubted knight but you fair sir whose honourable sight doth promise hope of help and timely grace mote i beseech to succour his sad plight and by your power protect his feeble case first praise of knighthood is foul outrage to deface armour said he no knight so rude i ween as to don outrage to a sleeping ghost Ne was there ever noble courage seen that in advantage would his puissance boast honour is least where odds appeareth most maybe that better reason will assuage the rash revenger's heat words well disposed have secret power to peace inflamed rage if not leave unto me thy knight's last patronage though turning to those brethren thus bespoke ye warlike pair whose valorous great might it seems just wrongs to vengeance to provoke to wreak your wrath on this dead seeming night mote aught allay the storm of your despite and settle patience in so furious heat not to debate the challenge of your right but for this carcass pardon i entreat whom fortune hath already laid in lowest seat to whom chimocles said for what art thou that makes thyself his daysman to prolong the vengeance pressed or who shall let me now on this vile body from to wreak my wrong and make his carcass as the outcast dung why should not that dead carry and satisfy the guilt which if he lived had thus long his life for due revenge should dear abide the trespass still doth live albeit the person die indeed then said the prince the evil done dies not when breath the body first doth leave but from the grandsire to the nephew's son and all his seed the curse doth often cleave till vengeance utterly the guilt bereave so straitly god doth judge but gentle knight that doth against the dead his hand uprear his honour stains with rancour and despite and great disparagement makes to his former might pyrocles gan reply the second time and to him said now felon sure i read how that thou art partaker of his crime therefore by termagant thou shalt be dead with that his hand more sad than lump of lead uplifting high he weened with more dure his own good sword mordure to cleave his head the faithful steel such treason nold endure but swerving from the mark his lord's life did assure yet was the force so furious and so fell that horse and man it made to reel aside nathless the prince would not forsake his cell for well of yore he learned had to ride but full of anger fiercely to him cried false traitor miscreant thou broken hast the law of arms to strike foe undefied but thou thy treason's fruit i hope shalt taste right sour and feel the law the which thou hast defaced with that his baleful spear he fiercely bent against the pagan's breast and therewith thought his cursed life out of her lodge have rent but ere the point arrived where it ought that sevenfold shield which he from guyon brought he cast between toward the bitter stound through all those folds the steel-head passage wrought and through his shoulder pierced wherewith to ground he groveling fell all gored in his gushing wound 
which when his brother saw, fraught with great grief and wrath, he to him leaped furiously, and foully said, By Mahun, cursed thief, that direful stroke thou dearly shalt abide. Then, hurling up his harmful blade on high, smote him so hugely on his haughty crest, that from his saddle forced him to fly. Else mote it needs down to his manly breast have cleft his head in twain, and life thence dispossessed. Now was the prince in dangerous distress, wanting his sword when he on foot should fight. His single spear could do him small redress against two foes of so exceeding might, the least of which was match for any knight. And now the other whom he erst did daunt had reared himself again to cruel fight, three times more furious and more puissant, unmindful of his wound, of his fate ignorant. So both at once him charge on either side with hideous strokes and importable power that forced him his ground to traverse wide and wisely watched toward that deadly stour, for in his shield as thick as stormy shower their strokes did rain, yet did he never quail nor backward shrink, but as a steadfast tower whom foe with double battery doth assail them on her bulwark bears and bids them not avail so stoutly he withstood their strong assay till that at last when he advantage spied his poignant spear he thrust with puissant sway at proud chimocles whilst his shield was wide that through his thigh the mortal steel did gride he swarving with the force within his flesh did break the lance and let the head abide out of the wound the red blood flowed fresh that underneath his feet soon made a purple plesh horribly then he gan to rage and rail cursing his gods and himself damning deep Alls when his brother saw the red blood rail adown so fast and all his armor steep for very fellness loud he gan to weep and said Caitiff, curse on thy cruel Han that twice hath sped, yet shall it not thee keep from the third brunt of this my fatal brand. Lo, where the dreadful death behind thy back doth stand. With that he struck, and thother struck withal, that nothing seemed mote bear so monstrous might. The one upon his covered shield did fall, and glancing down would not his owner bite, but thother did upon his truncheon smite, which hewing quite asunder further way it made, and on his hackaton did light, the which dividing with importune sway it seized in his right side, and there the dint did stay. Wide was the wound, and a large lukewarm flood, red as the rose, thence gushed grievously, that when the Paynim spied the streaming blood, gave him great heart and hope of victory. On the other side, in huge perplexity, the prince now stood, having his weapon broke. Not could he hurt, but still at war did lie, yet with his truncheon he so rudely stroked Chimocles twice, that twice him forced his foot revoke whom when the palmer saw in such distress, Sir Guyan's sword he lightly to him wrought, and said, Fair son, great God thy right hand bless, to use that sword so wisely as it ought. Glad was the knight, and with fresh courage fraught, when as again he armed felt his hand, then, like a lion which hath long time sought his robbed whelps, and at the last them fond amongst the shepherd's swains, then wexeth wood and yawned, so fierce he laid about him, and dealt blows on either side, that neither mail could hold nor shield defend the thunder of his throes. 
Now to Pyrocles many strokes he told, eft to Chimocles twice so many fold, then back again turning his busy hand, them both at once compelled with courage bold to yield wide way to his heart-thrilling brand, and though they both stood stiff, yet could not both withstand, as savage bull, whom two fierce mastiffs bait, when rancor doth with rage him once and gore, forgets with wary ward them to await, but with his dreadful horns them drives afore, or flings aloft, or treads down in the floor, breathing out wrath and bellowing disdain, that all the forest quakes to hear him roar, so raged Prince Arthur, twixt his foemen twain, that neither could his mighty puissance sustain. But ever at Pyrocles when he smit, who Guyon's shield cast ever him before, whereon the fairy queen's portrait was writ, his hand relented, and the stroke forbore, and his dear heart the picture gan adore, which oft the paynim saved from deadly stour. But him henceforth the same can save no more, for now arrived is his fatal hour, that not avoided be by earthly skill or power. For when Chimocles saw the foul reproach which them appeached, pricked with guilty shame and inward grief, he fiercely gan approach, resolved to put away that loathly blame, or die with honor and desert of fame. And on the hauberk stroke the prince so sore that quite disparted all the Lincoln frame, and pierced to the skin, but bit no more, yet made him twice to reel that never moved afore, whereat Renfierced with wrath and sharp regret, he stroke so hugely with his borrowed blade that it impierced the pagan's burgonet, and cleaving the hard steel did deep invade into his head, and cruel passage made quite through his brain. He, tumbling down on ground, breathed out his ghost, which to the infernal shade fast flying, there eternal torment found for all the sins wherewith his lewd life did abound which when his German saw, the stony fear ran to his heart, and all his sense dismayed, ne thenceforth life ne courage did appear, but as a man whom hellish fiends afraid, long trembling still he stood, at last thus said, Traitor, what hast thou done? How ever may thy cursed hand so cruelly have swayed against that knight? Harrow and well away, after so wicked deed, why livest thou longer day? With that, all desperate as loathing light, and with revenge desiring soon to die, assembling all his force and utmost might, with his own sword he fierce at him did fly, and struck and foined and lashed outrageously without reason or regard. Well knew the prince, with patience and sufferance sly, so hasty heat soon cooled to subdue, though when this breathless walks, that battle can renew, as when a windy tempest bloweth high, that nothing may withstand his stormy stour, the clouds, as things afraid, before him fly, but also soon as his outrageous power is laid, they fiercely then begin to shower, and, as in scorn of his spent stormy spite, now all at once their malice forth to pour. So did Prince Arthur bear himself in fight, and suffered rash Pyrocles waste his idle might. At last, when as the Saracen perceived how that strange sword refused to serve his need, but when he stroked most strong the dint deceived, he flung it from him, 
and devoid of dread upon him lightly leaping without heed twixt his two mighty arms and grasped fast thinking to overthrow and down him tread but him in strength and skill the prince surpassed and through his nimble slight did under him downcast not booted it the pain him then to strive for as a bitter in the eagle's claw that may not hope by flight to escape alive still waits for death with dread and trembling awe so he now subject to the victor's law did not once move nor upward cast his eye for vile disdain and rancor which did gnaw his heart in twain with sad melancholy as one that loathed life and yet despised to die but full of princely bounty and great mind the conqueror not carried him to slay but casting wrongs and all revenge behind more glory thought to give life than decay and said pain him this is thy dismal day yet if thou wilt renounce thy miscreants and my true liegeman yield thyself for a life will i grant thee for thy valiance and all thy wrongs will wipe out of my sovenance fool said the pagan i thy gift defy but use thy fortune as it doth befall and say that i not overcome do die but in despite of life for death to call wroth was the prince and sorry yet withal that he so willfully refused grace yet sith his fate so cruelly did fall his shining helmet he can soon unlace and left his headless body bleeding all the place by this sir guyan from his trance awaked life having maestered her senseless foe and looking up when as his shield he lacked and sword saw not he wexed wondrous woe but when the palmer whom he long ago had lost he by him spied right glad he grew and said dear sir whom wandering to and fro i long have lacked i joy thy face to view firm is thy faith whom danger never from me drew but read what wicked hand hath robbed me of my good sword and shield the palmer glad with so fresh hue uprising him to see him answer it fair son be no whit sad for want of weapons they shall soon be had so gan he to discourse the whole debate which that strange knight for him sustained had and those two saracens confounded late whose carcasses on ground were horribly prostrate which when he heard and saw the tokens true his heart with great affection was embayed and to the prince bowing with reverence due as to the patron of his life thus said my lord my liege by whose most gracious aid i live this day and see my foes subdued what may suffice to be for me repaid of so great graces as ye have me shewed but to be ever bound to whom the infant thus fair sir what need good turns be counted as a servile bond to bind their doers to receive their meed are not all knights by oath bound to withstand oppressor's power by arms and puissant hand suffice that i have done my due in place so goodly purpose they together fond of kindness and of courteous a grace the whiles false archimage and aten fled apace End of Book 2, Canto 8, recording by Thomas Copeland.